Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges, and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Thanks for joining us at Digital Voices. Today, we're going to talk about search, connect, and navigate. What does all of that mean? So we have a super, super interesting guest, and we'll share more about Dr. Peter Tippett in just a moment, and you'll find out some things that uh, you never knew about. Uh, I don't want to give it too much away, so we'll just keep it at that for right now. But we will talk a lot about this, this whole idea of searching, connecting, navigating when it comes to clinicians and communications and things of that nature. So, Sydney, I know you're pretty young and haven't had to interact, thankfully, much with the healthcare system. Uh, but have you ever had to connect with uh, different ty- different connect? Uh, clinicians and then have to connect them yourself or maybe your parents or someone that you know? Yeah, um, I think the only times I've ever really had to do that is during um, insurance changeovers, like when my insurance has changed and stuff like that. Honestly, have never really enjoyed the process because I feel like I don't know what I'm talking right. about. So trying to like take one piece of information and give it to somebody else, I feel like things get lost in translation. Oh yeah, all, all the time. And then just connections. So I, just because of different places where I've served, I ha- I find myself having to make the connections manually despite everything being digitized. And so that's really what we're going to uh, tackle today. So I want to introduce my friend again, uh, Peter. He is CEO of CareMesh. Much more than that, a great person, uh, entrepreneur, an inventor, all things digital, a founder. Just He's done so much already in in just one life. I was thinking, Peter, maybe you've had uh, two or three lives already. We had a chance to get to know one another when we were at the Cleveland Clinic one time, and and, and Peter had got his, uh, I think you got your MD, right, at Case, Case. I got both an MD and a PhD yeah, at Case. Yeah, you got both MD. A lot of time in that town, yeah. <laughs> so I know Toby Cosgrove, my boss at the time, he brought us together, and we were really struggling with a problem that you had a solution for it. But then we connected just kind of on a personal level. And you helped me with my book on innovation. You wrote one of the chapters for that book. And then as things went on, just for self-disclosure as well, uh, for CareMesh, you asked me to come on as an advisor, which I have. And and that's been really a a great uh, opportunity for me as well to help sort of give back in the community and and see what's, what's going on. So Peter, we have a couple standard questions that we ask everyone. And for you, It'll be a recent book. What 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 books have you read lately? Because I know you're a very learned person. Well, it's funny. Um, I uh, I read about uh, mostly about how things work or what 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 kind of technology caused what kind of outcome. And the most recent thing I was I read was about uh, called Blind Bombing. Uh, it's a book about how microwave radar brought the end to World War II. And and this you know it's kind of a thing you know if you, how technology actually changes outcomes in society or changes people's capabilities of doing things or influences people to behave better or, or you know those things are really interesting uh, and and even even when it comes to what radar did in the old days and how it rolled out and what went right and wrong and all that. No, that, I love the title. It's very uh, provocative, and I uh, no one can see the book cover, but uh, you have to look it up. It, it was very uh, provocative. 
What about a life message or is there a mantra that you have, something that guides you, Peter, that, you know, is central to your life? Yeah, I, I'm all about curiosity and about um, keeping uh, two things going on at the same time. I think that whatever you do for your profession, you probably do something else really well. It might be, you know, uh, it, it might be playing the oboe or it might be running or it might be uh, homekeeping or it might be cooking or it could be anything. It, it you know, it, and and those other passions I find that the people that get the most done are the people that learn from the one and apply to the other. Yeah. Uh, and there's always a lesson or a method or a, a history in, in whatever the other passion is. So uh, I, I really love that notion of, of figuring out how to apply the curiosity you've got and, and use the full reach of what your, you and your employees have. Peter, you had a, and I alluded to it from the very beginning, just a fascinating career so far and you've invented things and done amazing things. Can you just give us the cliff notes version of your, your career, you know, where, you know, before you were a physician and why you decided to become a physician and get a PhD and then all the, the companies you started and things like that. would love to hear the story. Yeah. I feel like Forrest Gump. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't deserve to have had so many successes and I feel like I keep falling into these successes. Of course, there's a certain amount of luck and there's a certain amount of creating your own luck. But I started when I was uh, truly young. I was, uh, you know, a, a, um, a teenager. I got into radio and building transmitters and receivers and ham radio and all that sort of thing and got hooked up with a uh, uh, the, my girlfriend's father was the, the chief engineer at the WJR in Detroit. And so I wound up working for commercial radio and television and worked my way through college being the engineer for the nighttime top 40 radio station in, in, in town. Um, and at the, and in that time frame, I also learned to fly. I, I learned to fly before I was, uh, before I learned to drive <laughs> and uh, went on to get, you know, student private commercial in, uh, instrument instructor, airline transport rating, all the various kinds of flying. And, uh, and you know, I suppose if there's a single passion it, that's lasted, it's probably been that. But I got in, in, in college, I got involved in, in biochemistry and while chasing a girl to New York City, I, uh, I landed a job uh, doing an internship or a, a senior thesis at uh, Rockefeller University. Who would know that the guy I first, my first week there, a guy that I bonded with quickly, won the, had won the Nobel Prize for sequencing the first protein. Oh. My guy that hired me got the Nobel Prize for synthesizing the first protein. And I, I at the time was involved in these newfangled things called remote computing. You know, at the time it was a teletype operating at 55 baud talking to a computer in a mountain somewhere. And I hooked a 55 baud teletype computer to a bunch of tubes and solenoids and relays and made an automated peptide protein synthesizer and wound up making it possible to automatically make a protein. <laughs> uh, and uh, that got me hooked in the whole computer world. Uh, and I started uh, in Cleveland. I got uh, because of it. When you, uh, let me give you a word of advice. If you've got two Nobel Prize references, 
you can get into medical school. <laughs> yeah, I think pretty so. sure, pretty sure that'll work, right? <laughs> Even if you're a solid B student, the, uh, the there's a little bit to go with the. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I wound up with a full scholarship at Case Western Reserve for an MD PhD, and and uh, got you know deep into biochemistry and how things work. Uh, and and uh, and really, all the engineering and, and radio and flying and all that is really driven by how things work. And and later that evolved into how businesses work. I started a nonprofit, which is a big mistake. Startups being nonprofits is always a way harder than starting a, a for profit. Called the Pacific Foundation, which helped remote islanders with their health care and. Uh, and doing research and and whatnot, but at the time we had a kind of an incubator. We'd call it that now. And in order to write the same letter to three thousand people, I I wrote something that we now call mail merge, uh, and it ran it ran in uh, in the CPM uh, operating system and the Word Star word processor. It was an add-in, uh, and uh, wound up with a software company out of that. That eventually made the first antivirus product, and that uh, we sold to Symantec, and it became Norton Antivirus, which of course grew. You know, my first couple of years in that industry grew to three hundred million dollars. So anything, you know, hey, startups grow fast, quickly, no problem, right? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Uh, but that led me into uh, into a series of uh, different startups uh, uh, that that were enterprise oriented, uh, True Secure and ICSA Labs and and uh, CyberTrust that eventually got sold to Verizon. Um, and uh, along the way, I, I worked with a, uh, a a company that did medical dictation, but was transferring it to quote the cloud, <laughs> so we could take the doctors dictating and give them a digital recorder and create an EHR record out of their talking. I didn't know it at the time, but we had the biggest EHR uh, for ambulatory practices uh, out there. We had 7,000 unique doctors, 10 million unique patients operating in real time all the time. Uh, and uh, we, 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 had, we, we really had a handle on something that was growing nicely. It got profitable. Um, and we sold it, and the next uh, outfit took it down the drain. This is the other thing you have to worry about: is if you sell a company, you lose the op- the opportunity to to keep it moving in a reasonable direction. Yeah. But anyway, I sold uh, my uh, CyberTrust company to Verizon, and they discovered I was a doctor, so I became the chief medical officer at Verizon. Got involved in the and and ran an innovation incubator there. And uh, uh, as I left Verizon, I had time to think and figure out what I wanted to do, uh, having gone from the smallest of companies to the biggest of companies. And, uh, and I built and, and created what we now call CyberTrust. Now that... It's all gump stuff. You just keep falling into this. Uh, no, it's, that's why I was so excited, you know, to talk to you. And that's why, you know, I, I agreed, you know, to serve as an advisor with CareMask because, like, whatever uh, Dr. Trippett gets involved with... Um, it's well thought out. So uh, it's, it's just amazing. Talk to us a little bit about leadership. So, you know, clearly, Peter, you're, you're an amazing leader having done all these things and served, like you said, in small companies and large companies, you know, how do you keep evolving yourself? You know, so, cause you know, other people who are listening, you know, I think most of our listeners are all leaders and they're thinking, how do I, you know, continuously improve, sharpen the shot? What, what, what sort of things do you do? Yeah, I think uh, I think part of this goes to uh, this notion of curiosity and figuring out what the root problem is. 
anything you're doing in business boils down to solving problems. And almost all of us are challenged with a whole range of problems that are not simple at all. If they were simple, somebody would just fix them, right? Uh, and it's really, uh, uh, it depends on us as true leaders to chase down to the really the root causes, to figure out what the underlying drivers are. Figure, You know, it's way better to figure out a moderate fix for something that's truly fundamental than a great fix for something that's iterative. And if you can find a simple and inexpensive way to actually get something done that that gets down to the root basics of whatever the problems are you're trying to solve, you'll do really well for your organization. And, and you know, that mantra, that issue of iterating and, and operating off of uh, you know, chase and chase and dig and dig until you figure out what these issues are and force your people and drive them to do the same. I think that's the, you know, that's one of the biggest ways to keep evolving. Of course, then your curiosity moves from, you know, from figuring out how some transistor works to figuring out how, a, you know, how a, the liver works to figuring out how businesses work to figuring out how to regulate or manage or grow or, you know, they are wildly more complex when you, how does healthcare as a system work? Right. No, that's, that's a very good point. What about any advice that you would give? So some of our listeners are definitely, you know, chief digital officers in a variety of health systems or in payer side and life sciences, but a lot, a lot of our listeners are earlier in their career and aspire to become leaders what advice would you have? Maybe one or two things that you would tell someone who's asked you, hey, how do I become a leader? How do I continue to evolve myself? I would keep in mind that in business, I mean, healthcare is fundamentally a business like everything else. And in business, across all of businesses, there's really only one fundamental principle. And that is you have to stay alive. You have to live. You have to have enough money to go to the next day. And that leads to two sort of fundamental issues. You've got to either bring in more money or spend less money, right? That's true no matter what you're doing. It's true at home. It's true in businesses. It's true in nonprofits. It's true for everything. Of course, you have to do that. That's your underlying root fundamental, you know, charge as a business leader. But then each business has some other charge. It has some, I'll call it a business value. In medicine, that boils down to making people healthier. Uh, and so you have to, in, in, in computing or in software design, we have this thing we call a do-while loop. Do-while. Do this while you're doing that. And, and uh, uh, that concept is really useful. If you can if you understand that your job in healthcare, whether it's a doctor or a CIO or whatever it is, is to is to really fundamentally make patients' lives better, make them healthier, make their experience better. But you have to do that while either improving revenue or decreasing cost <laughs> so that the net provides better, gives you uh, the opportunity to live another day and do it all over again. That That's really a key concept that it's surprising uh, how how all of us get stuck in our narrower version of what we want to focus on. And those two disparate things have to work together in order to, to succeed. The other thing I, I think about is this notion of intellectual honesty. Um, when I was, uh, I was kind of a um, um, 
a hyper uh, hyperbolator or <laughs> in my younger days i could I could spin a tail and and uh, probably push things a little further, but there's nothing like face to face with uh, your senior resident and uh, figuring out that did or you didn't do that lab or that test or have the result or or, or whatever it is that faces up with that intellectual honesty and of course that operates at not just did I spill the milk all the way up to, you know, being honest with how your business works or how your your new innovation works or how the changes that you're applying work to to your uh, to your organization. Yeah, those are you know, two solid ones to take to the bank for sure. So let's turn a little bit now and talk more about what you're doing today with uh, Caramish. How did the idea for the company uh, come about? Well, I was a peeved off doctor, uh, you know, like so many uh, people. Uh, I had both parents and sisters and brothers and family members who had ridiculous problems with the healthcare system. They didn't understand why this or that. They weren't clear on what somebody wanted of them. They weren't clear of how to navigate, how to get to where they needed to go. So the patient experience was bad, and obviously so. And then when I was in the trenches being an emergency room or, or operating somewhere as a doctor, you know, it just seemed ridiculous that you could do things and your your kid in high school could do more with a computer than you could. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I had been, uh, you know, in, in all of that growth through those things, one of the things I was part of was uh, the early part of the ONC, what uh, the, 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 um, uh, the, the, uh, PTAC, the President's Information Technology Advisory Committee, was part of the beginning of the ONC, which which was an early categorization of how messed up uh, healthcare was by the numbers. Thirty percent of all tests are done again, and only eight percent at the time of people were using electronic health record, and on and on. And so I uh, got involved in meaningful use and and uh, the standards bodies and and policy bodies and all that and HIPAA and and the rest of it. Um, but I got really dismayed that simple things were just not doable. Getting a, a medical record to another doctor that was also taking care of my patient was not doable. You know, every the only reliable communication system in uh, even today that can reach all doctors or all clinics uh, is the telephone or the fax. That's it. You know, <laughs> there is no digital system or digital addressing scheme. There's no HIE. There's no direct direct uh, only half of people have a direct address it's a not noble idea but it, but it doesn't you know you, you can't really have a reliable system if there's nothing fundamental that connects everyone uh, so in my thinking time as i left the giant company and decided to start something new I, I decided to really think this problem through and spend a year or two doing fundamental you know uh, uh, work to figure out what the root causes were of the, and I came to the conclusion that one of the big root cause problems in healthcare is communication, uh, and uh, it, it operates at all kinds of levels. It, it isn't just that digital communication doesn't work to all doctors in and out. It's it's that once you have good communication, you can do other things with it. That's why we now have. Slack and and Salesforce and and you know uh, you know all these tools that ride on top of good communication to help coordinate activities in organizations, but we don't have anything like that that operate that makes everybody's life better in healthcare. So we dreamt up a way to figure out uh, how you could make a digital communication system that would reliably reach every doctor, every clinic, every 
hospital, every healthcare worker in the country, without having to make that other end do anything, just like FedEx. You don't have to worry about whether your mother is signed up for FedEx or not, <laughs> or whether she lives on an island at the end of a dirt road and a boat has... To... That's FedEx's problem. You just give it to FedEx and they get it to your mother, right? right. And so we wanted to make a system that could digitally operate inside of an EHR that would en enable the EHR, that would enhance the the functionality of an EHR, just like, you know, when pilots are flying around, the Boeing or the Airbus or the Beechcraft have full navigation systems. But in addition to the nav that the airplane has, the pilot carries a personal uh, a personal tablet, typically with an electronic flight uh, 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 device on it, and they work together. It doesn't take much communication between the two to get a mo just massive enhancements over the capabilities of the airplane by having separate capabilities that work together with that. So we were looking for ways to enhance the Epic or Cerner or Meditech and make it so that uh, communication would be instant and seamless and not require work and automated and all the rest of that. And it sounds, I, I, what I find is it sounds crazy People believe that we've tried all this over the last 30 years. It's never worked. Therefore, it's never going to work. And uh, so we, we put together CareMesh. It started with a directory, the uh, naming every doctor, every nurse practitioner, and every uh, you know, home health worker, every, every clinic, every location in the country, and figuring out how communication might work with all those places. And that directory is now on fire, and it's fire native, and it's, it's deployed in many places across many industries in healthcare. And uh, it works remarkably well. And then we added a notion of uh, delivery. or uh, if, Once you find whoever it is, the Dr. Smith in South Carolina, that the particular one who's a cardiologist that is the patient's doctor uh, or that you want to get a record from or that you need to talk to or whatever it is, uh, make the automation be able to actually get a uh, whatever it is to them, a notification or an X-ray or a medical record or or whatever, a, a question, a request. Uh, and, and we've managed to communicate, uh, to deliver that, to connect uh, now at remarkably 99.7% of all attempts, day in, day out, times tens of thousands uh, uh, work. They get there. And, and from the viewpoint of the EHR, that's... Uh, that's that's all automated and digital, and then the uh, the other thing that came down to it is that communication alone is not enough. We really need the enhanced capabilities that make people's workflows better. So that you know you go into a big hospital, even the biggest that where you used to work, uh, or or with big 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 brand names, there's still a lot of people walking around with sticky notes and spreadsheets yeah. and and folders even with the best, best implementations of Epic or Cerner or any of the others. And to the extent that you can get people ways to enhance their job, that you can enable them um, with the uh, alternate tools that help drive them to get their work done, that help automate what's automatable, but also nudge them where it takes nudging and, and show them the, the quick thing to do. Pilots call this situational awareness. Give your employees, whether they're doctors or, or ward clerks, the situational awareness about what's going on right now and what they need to do next. Yeah. So are you finding this to be a common struggle amongst, you know, you sort of answered the question already, but maybe a little bit deeper amongst healthcare organizations, uh, you know, not just the, the big complex organizations, but the small ones. And, you know, is, is this a common pain point? 
Yeah, well, obviously, it's like so many things. You you can't imagine, um, you know, back when we had newspapers, but not radio or TV. Nobody could have imagined radio or TV, right? And uh, uh, before we had Salesforce and Jira and Slack and all these automation tools, we wouldn't really imagine that somebody could help you get your job done. Some software could help you get your job done. Uh, as well as do a little bit of it for you, the sort of automation and uh, help in- enhance the workflows or the 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 the, uh, with the work that people need to do and help you collaborate with those other people you need to do that work with, whether that's down the hall or across town or across the country. You know, it, the, the, one of the biggest frustrations I've had with my families is, you know, they they their other doctor is in a different state and there's just no way that patient remembers enough to, to right. be meaningful. Uh, and, and, uh, so to the, to almost all care involves collaboration, uh, with other team members in the same building or with, you know, other providers, uh, or team members outside. And, and, uh, yeah, so that's the, that's the gist of that. Yeah. I know it was always a conundrum wherever I have served is, no matter how good your own directory might be, uh, which even is an issue for most organizations, their own directories are not necessarily accurate and up to date. And so if that's already a challenge, imagine what it is, you know, trying to communicate to other directories and so forth. And Karamesh, you sort of uh, take that pain point away and and have an elegant uh, solution. Peter, let's Let's take another twist here in our conversation because you are pretty uh, clearly highly intelligent and probably have some thoughts about where healthcare is headed. I, this is kind of a dangerous area because you know it's it's recorded and if, and if you're if we get it wrong, you know, in the next year someone could say, "Oh, remember we we thought we knew where we were going, but we got it wrong." But then again, it's kind of fun to uh, think about and it's important to think about because you always want to. You know, to to quote Wayne Gretzky, you know, maybe over a little bit, you gotta you gotta skate to where the puck's going, type of thing. And so right. I, know, I know you think about it as a as an entrepreneur and as a leader. So where where do you think uh, healthcare is headed? You know, that's kind of a broad question, but you know, a lot of talk around hospital at home and things like that. What what are your thoughts about the next you know couple of years? Well, if you think about it. Um... Healthcare, at least the delivery side, the provider side, boils down to three fundamentally different um, chunks. You know, there's a there's a consultative aspect to what people do with patients. They tell, they answer questions. They tell them which drug works better than which other, or whether it's better to take it in the evening or in the morning. They answer whether this is likely to be a you know, pneumonia or congestive heart failure or whatever. There's that consultative notion. Then there's the sort of data gathering notion when we're trying to figure out things we might need labs or tests or x-rays or whatever they are. And then there's that that sort of issue that of intervention or treatment or whatever, where you're doing surgery or providing chemotherapy or whatever it is. And and the consultative part of all that, in my mind, uh, becomes a managed service. Uh, a managed service is where people coordinate with computers and cloud services, uh, and the cloud could never be good enough. The analytic could never be good enough to to get to the, do all the nuances that could happen to a given patient. But but uh, but by combining the automation and the capabilities of of AI and cloud services and so on, you should be able to get, you know, 60, 80% of the real easy questions done online. 
and still provide people that can get the the nuance right for that particular patient. Um, because, you know, uh, every trip in an airplane has got to go around a different storm or navigate a different problem. And the same is true for patients. One person with congestive heart failure and diabetes is not the same as the next. And and they, they each have different problems that, that um, a little bit of uh, automation can manage. But uh, some answers are pretty much the same all the time, but many, many others are nuanced and require the analytics of a person's brain as, as well as the, the handholding. So that I see that as a man, what I'd call a managed service. It's not all software and it's not all people. And it's not a lot of in-person time. This can be completely replaced by what we now call virtual care, virtual medicine or remote medicine or something like that. Testing and that piece of it, I think, is largely going to wind up being scattered. It's going to be a service. You buy it wherever it is, right? Make it easy. Uh, and, uh, and But the data, of course, has to get back to where the patient and their care team can deal with it. And then the interventions are going to also be uh, hyper-specialized and focused. So if you're going to get a transplant, that's different than getting, you know, uh, you know, getting dialysis. Uh, and and in, in each of them will need different sorts of, of delivery mechanisms. Yeah, we covered a ton of ground, Peter. You know, given your background and experiences, we could spend, we could do a different podcast on each of these topics. But we talked a lot about you know, leadership and just your journey and, and the opportunities you've had. Then we talked about uh, Care Mesh and why that was created and the problems that it's solving and how it's helping a lot of different organizations. And then we just, you know, we're wrapping up a little bit on the future of healthcare. Is there a particular topic we, we didn't hit that you, we want to touch on? I want to give you the last word or one that we did touch on, but to, but to double down on. Yeah, I I think this notion of communication is much bigger than we tend to give it credit for. You can't do digital things like AI or uh, uh, you know all of the new analytics. You can't do it unless you've got digital things to work on. You can't do analytics on a piece of paper, right, <laughs> or on a fax or on a phone call. Uh, so so having things be digital matters. Um, and and getting people the sort of situational awareness. Doctors call it the bullet. Doctors don't need 70 pages of information. They'd much, much, much prefer three lines of information that's exactly the right three lines that matter to me at this moment. And doctors spend a huge amount of their training being able to con- learning how to condense those 3,000 things down to you know, three lines so they can convey the situation to the next doctor so they can do whatever it is they need to do in that moment. The same should be true of every care worker, even clinical and clerical both. So this notion of driving situational awareness and creating the bullet, the narrowest possible information that's needed at the time for the individual uh, that's working on care for that patient at that moment, <laughs> whether what they need to do next or what they need to know now or how they what sorts of things might influence their decision making those those uh, those are huge issues that require a lot of forethought. Um, we figured out how to do a huge amount of it manually, but uh, we haven't really provided great tools that complement the EHR that make it so that that you can enable those kinds of capabilities for regular workers and doctors and EHRs and tech people all at the same time. Yeah, you know, as you were kind of talking about communication, I was just thinking back, you know, when when one of my early 
jobs in healthcare like 30 years ago where that was one of my responsibilities was to leverage technology to enable clinician to clinician and hospital to clinician communications. And it, so it's been a problem that we've been working on for many, many years. And, and, you know, it's taken a while for digital to catch up, you know, the technology to advance and things like that uh, to where we actually can have uh, more, much more robust uh, solutions uh, today. So well, let me give you one quick factoid here. It just amazes me. We've had hospitals that are customers of CareMesh now that went from 14, 15% digital communication and uh, 60, 70% able to connect to the other doctor by any hook or crook, including fax, to 99.5, These people wind up with more doctors referring patients to them. They wind up with more revenue. Yeah. They wind up with better engagement with those community physicians. They wind up, we've, we've got uh, uh, complex care settings where you're doing transplants or, or putting a new heart valve in or whatever that used to be 40 days from presentation to the front door to get your new valve that are now 28 or 30 days. Uh, and you can crank more people through your same cath lab faster. <laughs> so on the one hand, the patient's got a faster result and they're healthier with less of complications. On the other hand, the hospital is making more money and generating more flow through their productive lines of business. So these things work uh, if you can get them pointed in the right direction. Yeah, clearly it addresses uh, many different areas. Yeah, like I said, we could we could keep going a long time because that was exactly the ROI statements that we used to, you know, get that investment 30 years ago. And, and it really did uh, pay off. It, it was very regional, you know, in, in context of the bigger picture that we're speaking about today. But uh, it's definitely critical to the lifeblood, you know, from a patient experience perspective to the hospital financial perspective, uh, efficiency. I mean, it just covers everything. So that's why this is such an important topic. And there was no better person than to have you, Peter, be our guest uh, speaking about it. So thank you for being with us on Digital Voices. Thank you, too. See you soon. All right. Well, that wraps up another drop for Digital Voices, and we'll see you at the next one. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Martin. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.